Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. So I just want everyone to remember that. That, that is uh, probably the way this guy lives. So uh, I know what that feels like at times. But the Bible is supreme. We want to make sure we know that and we believe that way. So let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you today for uh, your mercy and your grace in our lives, for the way that you do love us and care for us. We ask that your blessing uh, would rest upon us as we look into your word, as we find out what you have to say to us, Lord. It is important. We, we, we need to know. Because your word is relevant and it's vital. And so just touch us, Lord. Let, let our hearts be open to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say together, Amen. I don't know if you heard this or remember this particular news story. But several, several years ago, in August of 2000, 118 crewmen lost their lives when a, a series of explosions caused their Russian submarine to sink to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, I remember hearing about it. I remember reading about it. Uh, some of the things that I didn't know about were that there were 23 of these men who survived for several hours longer than, than the rest. And, and the reason they did is because they found themselves in an isolated chamber. They went back and they found a place that they, they, they could be with uh, the amount of air they needed for a while until people rescued them. The rescuers never really came. One of the 20, one of these 23 that went back there was a 27-year-old lieutenant, Captain Dimitri. And he wrote a note to his wife while he was waiting to die. Virtually, that's what was happening. There were three words from this letter, from his letter to her, that were displayed at his memorial service. He wrote, must not despair. Must not despair. When people go through moments right before they think they're going to die, there's almost this instinctive need to send a message. There seems to be this human reaction that we want others to know our story. We want to tell our story to others. It's been proven in other situations, in tragic situations. The downing of the JAL airliners, uh, the airliner in 1995 or 85, when they found notes that were in the middle of being written. Uh, when you discovered and they went in and the, the, the police discovered at the Nazi concentration camps that people had taken and written as many notes and letters as they possibly could and they stuffed them in the floorboards and any, any nook and cranny they could find. What they were wanting to do with imminent death coming, they wanted people to know what, what was going on in their lives. They wanted to tell their story. You know, in those few moments when life gets stripped away and all those things that we spend chasing, things like success and reputation and fun and wealth and security and comfort, they mean absolutely nothing. You know, you're left with what you believe, what you choose to build a life on. And so the question for me, and when I read stories like the one I just told you about, is what is that for you? What would you write? What are the things that you would write down? What would you want people to know about you? This moment came in the lives of three people. 
It came in the lives of three young men with great promise and incredible potential. These three young men were the best of the best. They were promoted to positions of power in the nation that they lived. Uh, these men were living the good life. They had it all and they had so many hopes and dreams still ahead of them. And that's what it says when you listen to Daniel chapter 3 verses 14 through 18. Because this really centers around the lives of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And I read this and I've read this a few times in the last week or two. And I thought, wow, what is it they, they're facing here? And what would it be like for us to face some of the same things they were facing? And it says this, it says, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or you worship my gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down, and you worship the image which I have made good... But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. And that's an amazing, pretty bold statement for somebody, somebody's facing the kind of repercussions that they're about to face. And what is it? I mean, you either worship or you die. You worship the idol that's set before you as Nebuchadnezzar has asked you to or you die. And that's what this story tells us. And what's interesting to me is the way that these three guys responded. They were given an ultimatum. Again, worship an idol or die. And there, there are inevitable moments, I think, in somebody's life, in anyone's life, where death is inescapable, where there's no way out, where people recognize this is really the end of my life. This is the end of life as I understand it here on planet Earth. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when you think about it, death is escapable. They have an option. They have an opportunity to get away from death. They don't have to die. All they need to do is bend the knee to worship the idol and the nightmare will be all over. That's according to the promise of Nebuchadnezzar. They will live and be put back into their positions of power and honor and influence and prestige. One word and a bent knee would mean life for them. But what do they do? They, they wouldn't say that word. The Bible tells us in this story that they would not bend their knee. Life or death, they chose death. Essentially, what they said is, we won't serve your God. The God we serve is able to save us. But even if he doesn't save us, we want you to know that we will not worship another God. Now, this is incredible resolve. And when I read this story and stories like it, people like Daniel, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... The thing that I'm always impressed with isn't so much their creativity because they were very creative. It isn't so much their intellect because these were the best of the best. It isn't so much their genius. What it is for me, the thing that gets to me is their resolve. And it's one thing that I'm not sure I've seen in my lifetime. I'm not sure that I even have that kind of resolve. And I have to ask myself those kinds of questions. 
Because I, I look at stories like this, and I think we live in a society, we live in a day and age, we don't lack intelligence. We don't lack creativity. We don't lack any sort of initiative. What do we lack? What we lack, what I see, is resolve. Just to say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. I'm not going to bow down and worship this golden idol. I'm just not going to do it. And that's what Shadrach and Meshach do here. That's exactly what they say. And this really, this really looked like their last words, doesn't it? When you read the story, what they're saying to Nebuchadnezzar, essentially you could, you could be, you, you could be saying, and, and, and rightfully so, this is it. They're done and they are literally toast. It's over. Their last words must not despair. Must not despair. And then you read verse 19 and verse 19. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than was usually heated. Now, it's interesting here because this is literally, and you can literally translate it, the expression on his face changed. That's, that's the way it reads here. When they were brought to him for not bowing down, he was mad. That's all you can interpret. He was mad. He was angry, but he, but he had been using velvet gloves. He had been using the kid glove approach up to this point because what does he do? He says, listen, when you hear the music, would you do this? You know, that's sweet, isn't it? When you hear the music. You're going to get lulled to sleep here. When you hear the music, all you need to do is just bow down. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound really neat? And that's what he's saying here. And what happens here is Nebuchadnezzar lost control. His attitude toward them changed immediately. And in the ancient world, when you use the word seven or seven times, what it really means is a lot. That whenever you use the, the word seven times, there's an emphasis here. It was kind of code language for torque it up as hot as you can make it. Just 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 do what you can to get it as hot as you can. Humanly possible as hot as you can. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying here. He's saying, I want you to crank that furnace as hot as you can make it. And now imagine these three young men. They're facing what looks like their final moments. They have been faithful to the very end. And they've seen the end coming since the first day they heard about the command to bow down before the statue of gold. They knew that their time was probably coming, that it was going to happen. Every exit was closed. They had been faithful to the last. Every door was shut. Every pathway had closed in on them. Listen, real people filled with courage here. Maybe maybe some fear. Maybe a little bit of defiance. And certainly a whole lot of faith. They feel the heat. They see the men who carried the, them in and, and brought them there, the furnace. Uh, when they got close, they collapsed and they died from the flames. And then they're in the fire. And imagine this. They're in the fire. And, and what they're waiting for is searing pain. What they're waiting for is the numbness that comes from something like that, from smoke inhalation that will suffocate their lungs. But nothing happens. Nothing takes place. They don't feel any different. And it begins to dawn on them that they're not even warm. It begins to dawn on them that they have no burns. They have no smoke. That their restraints have even disappeared. They begin to figure something out here. That something's going on that's, that, that's bigger and greater than them. 
I love this. And and that's not the best part. That really isn't the best part of the story. Because the best part of the story, it turns from what looks like a miracle into a visit from God. This is an epiphany. This is this is a divine visitation. Because when you read what it says, you go down a little further. And it talks about God visiting or someone visiting. And Nebuchadnezzar says this. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and he spoke saying to the counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said, that's true, king. There are there are four. Who is the fourth? He's like a God. And that's the little literal translation. Now, I don't know how you've read this before, and I don't know if you've read it in Sunday school or where you've read this story before, but this is a fourth member of the Furnace Club right here. This is amazing to me. And he's unharmed as well. In fact, he looks like he's their deliverer. That's what it looks like. This fourth one had a a little meeting right there in the furnace. And I, I thought about this. Why didn't they just get out of there? It's hot. Why didn't they just leave? But they didn't. They lingered for a while. And it appeared that there was probably a little bit of a conversation going on. And who was this fourth man? Well, he came out of nowhere and he cheated death. And the Bible says here that he looks like the son of the gods. You know, the Bible doesn't say who it is, but I, I, I think I know who it is. I, I think and and I think a lot of people say this and, and commentaries say this as well. This is Jesus. This is the incarnation of God is Jesus Christ, because there were other places that Jesus showed up. And that he just he just walked in with them, said, you know, I'll just hang out with you. I'll be here with you. And apparently they spent some time in that furnace together. And then you have to ask yourself, what in the world did they talk about? And I wonder what the fourth man said to his friends. You know, I wonder in this conversation if the fourth man didn't tell Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego how much he loved them. I wonder if the fourth man just didn't look at those three and say, I want you to know how proud I am of you. I'm wondering if he looked at them and he said, listen, you need to know that people are going to remember your names for centuries to come. People are going to know who you are. And then you have to wonder what those boys said to the fourth man. I mean, this is a two way conversation. It appears my guess is they worshiped him. My guess is they adored him. And my guess is they certainly said, thank you. Thanks for saving us. Thanks for getting us out of this. The furnace, which looked like the end, the end of their lives, turned out to be the greatest experience in their lives. And there's a there's a wonderful lesson, I think, for for me and for you and for all of us. It really was the one event that you couldn't miss in the whole time of your life. The furnace turns out to be the place where they met God. The furnace turned out to be the place they they touched what I believe is Jesus Christ and had a conversation with him. And the amazing thing, I think, still today is God meets us. He meets you in the furnace as well. That whatever that furnace looks like, whatever it is to you, that he meets you there. Now, now here's the point of the story, and I, I don't want this to go unnoticed. The boys were hoping to be delivered from the furnace. But instead, God delivered them in the furnace. Don't miss that. Because I really think that's the point of the story. You know, sometimes we pray that way. We say, Lord, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. And you're wondering what in the world's going on. I'm not being delivered. When all along, the Lord is delivering you in the very situation you're, you, you, you find yourself in. 
that he keeps you there, but he's doing something in you. He's delivering you. He's setting you free. Jesus says, I will meet you in the furnace. You know why? I, I really think this because Jesus is a furnace kind of guy. I mean, look at all the places he shows up. I mean, with his disciples, there are better places to have conversations with your disciples than in the middle of a storm. But that's where he chooses to show himself. There are better places to have conversations with an apostle than in prison. There are better places to have conversations with someone like John the Revelator than the desert island or the lonely island of Patmos. There are a lot better places. You could go to a coffee shop or or go somewhere else and have good conversation. But here, Jesus is a furnace kind of guy. And that's exactly where he wants to meet you and where he wants to meet me. The most dangerous, the most scary, the most painful. And it looks like the end, but it turns out to be where Jesus is. You know, the, the most, I, I think, amazing thing, and amazingly enough to me, is where wherever Jesus is, you need to remember this, wherever Jesus is, is the safest place for you. <laughs> I'm reading this story and I'm going, this is, they're safe. Because God's with them. They are safe. That's the safest place they could have been. The safest place they could be. And it turns out to be an adventure of a lifetime. I mean, you read verses 26 through 28. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and he spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps and administrators and governors and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men whose bodies that were in the fire had no power. The fire had no power over them. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, and he delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word. He's saying this about himself. And yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. The very man that was vain enough to think you should worship him out of his own mouth comes a testimony beyond and above any kind of testimony I've heard of. Because usually kings aren't that humble and Nebuchadnezzar really wasn't. So these boys come out of the fire and I would have loved to have seen that. I would have liked to have been there to watch this. I mean, everyone crowding around them and, you know, touching them like. They're aliens. What, what's happened here? And looking at them, probably smelling their clothes and touching their head to see if there's, you know, any smoke still there. And there wasn't anything. The Bible says that they didn't smell like fire. They didn't look like they'd been through a fire. They trusted God and defied the king's command. And who is this king? It's King Nebuchadnezzar. You have to remember that. This man just killed his soldiers just, just a few minutes before this. He got it so hot, you know, the furnace. And, and so these guys dropped dead. Their lives didn't even register with him. And now what he does is he gra- congratulates these boys for defying his authority. You know, something's going on in this guy's life. That's for sure. And, and I think for me, that's what I want to be aware of when especially you're working with people who may have authority in your life. And, and it may seem even twisted and 
and and weird and 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 hard to get along with. And you're looking at this and you keep praying, Lord, do something, do something in their life. Listen, the Lord can. Something's going on in this man's life. Something's happening to this king that they can't really put their finger on. They don't know something's going on. But what does he do? He, he says anyone who destroys or anyone who says anything against their God, the Hebrews God, then they would be destroyed. And then he promotes them in Babylon and, and he does it just before. It's all going to be hunky dory for him. He says, you're not only restored, but you're promoted. I mean, they didn't just come back with the positions that were given them. They were promoted. And Nebuchadnezzar, listen, wasn't into equal opportunity. He wasn't into promoting. He wasn't into to, uh, you know, making sure everybody got paid equally for the same kind of jobs. This guy doesn't care. And this is what he does. He promotes them. Have you ever wondered what the rest of their lives were like? What Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego lived like? You know, we really don't know because this is the last time that they're ever mentioned in Scripture. We don't know. I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that. I, I wonder if they ever thought how easily they might have missed this adventure. Because I would have. And I've gone through things that I thought, wow, if I wouldn't have been there, if I wasn't obedient there, you know what would have happened? I would have missed the whole thing. I, I would have I would have never seen this or I would have never had this happen or that happen. And I, I know the Lord does care for us and he keeps us in all of our ways. But there are times the Lord says, I need you to show up here. And if you don't show up, you miss. And I'm thinking, I'm wondering if they're thinking that if they had given in to fear, if they had just spoken one word or bent one knee, they would have missed their greatest encounter with the fourth man in the furnace. They would have never had an opportunity to know what it was like to be delivered, not from, but in the furnace. I'm sure that these young men never, uh, never forgot their moment. How could that be possible? If you've ever spent any time in a furnace, you don't forget. Something you remember forever. If you've ever trusted God enough to go to the place that looks like it's the end. If you've ever trusted God enough to go to the place where you meet him there. That's going to mark you for your life. It has a way of leaving an imprint on your heart, on your mind, on your spirit. You would carry that moment for the rest of your life. You know what? I think about this story, and as I said earlier, it's something that's kind of dug in a little bit, a little bit deeper in my heart. Because I thought, where, what kind, what, 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 how do we live? How do I live? How do you live? And I don't think there's anything wrong with being comfortable and blessed, but we are really set up in this world to be comfortable. This comfortable world, sometimes our goal is in this world that we live in, our goal is furnace avoidance. It's kind of a disease. Avoid that furnace. Don't, that's, that's hot. Don't go there. Don't do that. That'll get you in trouble with some folks that are high up. Thank the Lord for these three guys that didn't have furnace avoidance syndrome. You know, my greatest fear, um, and maybe you have to think about that every now and again, and may seem may seem weird or odd, but my greatest fear growing up was public speaking. My greatest fear even beyond that was public singing. That was worse. 
And I think it started when I was younger. I think, you know, I, I remember where it started. I was young and I was with a group of kids and they were all singing and I was singing and they all stopped and looked at me and said, that is really bad. And I thought, you know what? Check. Don't do that again. Don't ever do that again. And you'll notice, you'll notice that when I'm up here and you're singing, this mic is muted. It is an order. But you have to go through. Sometimes you have to go through the furnace. Sometimes you have to face those fears. And where I face those fears, I, I remember. I, they've marked me. Maybe even scarred me. But I remember. Because when you go to Bible college, you should and you are expected to do something musical. And so one of those things is you have a music class. And if I was going to do anything else, I would have never taken a music. There's no way. But it, it's mandatory. So you go and you take a music class. And they knew, all my classmates, everyone in the school knew the day I was actually leading the class in on Christ the Solid Rock. It was a music class, and I was going to lead it. That place was packed out. There w- it wasn't even standing room. They were all there. They weren't there to worship. They were there to go, he's going to mess this up. You know, and if you have some draw like that, it works for a while to build the crowds. But after a while, you know, people get tired of you making mistakes. But it was packed out. And I remember starting to lead that song. And I just got into it. I, I just didn't look at it. And you know what? I, I turned my back and I just kind of like I was leading a choir. And then I turned back around and, and, and half my friends, they were actually in the aisles. They, they were mocking me. They were in the aisles and they were on their knees like God had slain them. Like, you know, God had really worked. And I thought, these people are cold-blooded. They know I, this is my weakness. And I thought, Lord, I'm never going to, I'll never do that again. I don't want to do that. And now I'm a worship pastor. This, this is my, was my greatest fear. Well, I have to lead people who understand, actually know music. They understand that. And, and then it didn't help. Two days ago, I'm in the backyard with my granddaughter and she is so pretty cute. She's Ella. And I just bait her along a little ways. I said, Ella, what is that song again? You know, the one that Jasmine sings. And then she just starts singing and she has a beautiful voice. And I said, what's that other one in that Disney? She goes, oh, I am Siamese, if you please. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we started singing that together and we got done. And I said, Ella, you have a beautiful voice. And she said, you know what, Grandpa, thank you. Mommy has a good voice. Daddy has a good voice. Grandma has a good voice. But Grandpa, you don't have a good voice. Later, she felt bad for me and she came and tried to kiss up, but it didn't work. <laughs> but I want to say this. All of us have things in our life that we fear. There are things that we look at and we say, I'm not going to go there. It was way too hot. It's way too embarrassing. It's way too degrading. I don't want to go there. Somewhere along the line, the Lord leads you to those furnaces. And he says, listen, you do this. You do what I ask you to do and I will show up. I'll be there. And I think the Lord's waiting for some of us to go there right now. Jesus is meeting me in the furnace. Is Jesus meeting you in the furnace? And here's the last last lesson of our story. And that's this. When God calls you to risk, he provides great reward. He does. You know, one of the things that happens when you read a story like this, and maybe you you have the same kinds of impressions, but... Oftentimes I, I get these oddest, I get, they're, they're just images. I, I, they, they just come to my mind. It's my imagination. I don't know what it is. I had a picture of God having a calendar here in this story. And I know he doesn't. He doesn't have a calendar because he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. So 
you know, so he never has to remember to go somewhere because he's already there. I mean, you know, uh, but but on the date that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had their deal with Nebuchadnezzar, God's got this thing written down in his calendar. Meet Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the furnace. Mark that down. And I thought, what if they hadn't shown up? Because their whole life is an adventure dependent on this decision, their willingness to face the furnace. Where on his calendar does God have your name written down? Appointment with you in the furnace. He wants to meet you in the furnace. And the question is, is will you make it? Or, or might we bend the knee? Might we say the wrong thing? God calls us to a risky life, a dangerous life. I want to ask you to consider doing something. It's a bit risky. I want you to ask. I want to ask you to consider this. Stop asking for the for less heat. For something easier, or richer, or more pleasant, or more secure. Because there's something better. You know, when you think about the Christian journey, it is risky. And it is sometimes dangerous. But ask for the fourth man to show up in the furnace. Say, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm going there. Help me out. Don't turn down the heat because that, 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 that probably isn't your will. Maybe your furnace is at work. Somebody told me just recently that they were praying to find a job that's easier, an easier environment. And they said, you know what, a pastor, I work in a fallen, difficult, cranky, hostile world with a bunch of hostile people all the time. Well, so do I. <laughs> and so do the people who work with me. It's a world of fallen, cranky, difficult, hostile people. Maybe you have people in your work who are far from God and have habits or behaviors that are quite painful for you. Nebuchadnezzar was not exactly up for Employer of the Year award. And God used Shadrach's, Meshach's, and Abednego's willingness to go to the furnace and change his heart. Maybe your furnace is serving. Maybe God's been whispering to you to get involved in some form of service, whether it's in the city or the community or with the poor or going overseas. Maybe it involves using some of your spiritual gifts and you're afraid to do it. You've been avoiding what feels like the furnace and God is in the furnace. That's what he wants you to know. Tell him that you'll meet him there. Maybe the furnace involves a relationship or a financial hardship or maybe it involves giving. Maybe it involves sacrifice. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking to myself. I just know that the golden statue in our world tends to involve gods with names like comfort and ease and security and success and all those kind of things. Somewhere along the line, too many people, too many churches have gotten the idea that following God guarantees an easier life. And here's what you need to know. You've heard it repeated already. If you stay in the furnace, he'll meet you there. He can't meet you in the furnace if you're not there.
He wants a date with you there. Because it will change your life. It will change your life forever. Would you bow your head with me?